Well, tonight we're going to be talking about the importance of meditating on God's Word. And, you know, I was thinking about that, and I was remembering back to, um, gosh, I think it would be the 80s. I'm giving my age away, maybe, 90s. And my mom was divorced and living on her own, and my brothers had moved out. My auntie, um, my uncle had passed away years ago, and her kids had moved out. So she told my mom, you know, why don't you come and live with me? I've got a three-bedroom house. Um, we can just live together, and I'll take care of the rent. Everything will be okay. And that worked out really well. And I lived here in Hilo, and what was good about that was um, I knew that my mom was okay, that she was taken care of, that she wasn't lonely. So I would call her every week um, just to talk to her and see how she's doing. And then also as a young wife, learning how to cook, because I didn't know how to cook when I got married, I'd call my mom to get um, recipes and all that. And I still remember the number. It was 1-808-689-7389. And anytime I wanted to call my mom, I would pick up the phone, which was attached to the wall, and I would stand there, dial 1-808-689-7389, and I'd ask her, hey, mom, how do you cook chicken adobo? And she would tell me, no, I have a confession to make. She'd always say with chicken adobo, you've got to add vinegar, you've got to add the bay leaf, you have to add the shoyu. And then she'd always say, and you make it to taste. And I'd get really silent, and I'd say, well, Mom, Tom likes chicken adobo. I don't. So I I don't know how to make it to taste because I don't like it. But then I'd call her another time. Mom, you know when we lived in California and that auntie that came to visit us, what was her name? And every time I wanted to call her, all I had to do was pick up the phone, and I knew the number. 1-808-689-7389. 1-808-689-7389. And I can say that number because both my auntie and mom passed away. So if you call it, I don't know who you're going to talk to. So anyways, the thing was, back in those days, if you wanted to call someone, you either had to memorize the number or you had that little phone book next to your phone. Remember, you'd open it up and you'd write in your friends, your family or whatever. Or you had the big phone book that was provided and you had to go through hundreds and thousands of names. Now, as time has gone on, we've got these little guys. And all I got to do to call someone is I go into my contact list and I press a name. The problem with that is I don't know numbers. I just know how to find names. And if the phone is plugged in, I go, hey, Siri, and then it calls somebody. Even restaurants. I don't have to know the number to the restaurant anymore. I just Google it. It comes up. And it doesn't even have a number. All it says is call, and you press the number, And it calls the restaurant. See, technology has made things really easy for us. We don't have to know things. We don't have to memorize them anymore. It's right here at our fingertips. Now, there is a problem, though. What if your phone gets lost? Heaven forbid, what if we leave it at home or the battery dies and then you can't Google something or you can't look it up? Then what do you do? See, last week we had a... um, We were going to go out to lunch, and I called restaurant number one, and I said, I have seven people. Can you fit us in? And they said, ooh, we can't fit you in until about 1.15. I said, "Uh, okay, I'll take that. And in my mind, I'm thinking, if I get the second restaurant, I'll call restaurant number one and cancel the reservation. Called the second restaurant, got the reservation. We all drove down, and then I'm sitting there going, oh, I forgot to call the first restaurant. So I went out, and I'm trying to Google the first restaurant, because remember, I don't need the number, because it's all right here on my smartphone. 
Problem is, the smartphone wasn't, a, um, there was no internet, and it was really slow, and I couldn't find the number. It took 15 minutes to be able to call that. Technology's not all that helpful. And the same thing happens with our Bible, though. So I remember when I first became a Christian, and I was told, memorize the Word of God. You have to put it in your heart. And back then, I did. And because we didn't have technology, I carried around a stack of index cards, and I'd write the verse on the cards, and I had it in my car, I had it on my mirror, I had it, in the, I had it everywhere. I carried around a little index thing in my um, notebook, you know, the ones that spiral, and had all these cards I'd flip through with memory verses. But I think it's become a lost art. Because again, with the phone, you can have version. If you know what that is, it's a Bible app. And I can just go through version, and I can find the verse I want. Or if you've got a Kindle, you can look on the Kindle. You can download a Bible. Or again, you can Google it. Don't we love Google? Okay? Or if you're not into technology, they've got Bibles that are about this big. So everywhere you go, you have the Word of God in Bible form with you. And we've lost the art of memorizing scripture. But again, what do you do? What do you do if the phone goes out? Then how do I know what decisions to make? How do I know how to help somebody that needs help or needs counseling or needs advice? How do I know what choices to make? You know, um, couples, well, Super Bowl Sunday, I was sick, so I didn't come to church. And the thing about Super Bowl parties at my house is, and I don't have them every year, so you can't just show up is when we do have them, it's word of mouth. So I never know who's coming to my house. Well, that morning, I woke up sick. I didn't come to church, but we couldn't cancel the Super Bowl party because I didn't know who was coming. So about 1.30 or so, I wake up, and I make my way out to the living room, and there's people there, and Mark Thomas was sitting in the living room, and we're getting ready for the game, and he's thinking, he's preparing. He has to go to the prison ministry later, and he wants to be relevant. So he turns to me and he says, Pastor Marsh, what's a good football verse? And I'm thinking, okay, wait, my head is fuzzy. I just woke up. I'm trying to think and I'm trying to find the verse in my brain that says, you know, for the um, goal set before him. And I couldn't think of it. And to the right of me, my daughter, Trisha says, Jesus wept. And I thought, that's a great football verse. In fact, after the game, there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. But you know, what do you do? If you can't, what if the pastor's not there and you can't ask them? We have to safeguard ourselves. We safeguard by knowing the word of God, by putting it in our heart. In fact, David wrote in um, Psalm 119, verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure? It's by keeping your word. See, whatever situation I face, anytime I'm in a problem or have to make a decision, if God's word is in my heart, I can make a decision because I have something to measure to. I'm not guessing. I'm not having to Google and then search for the answer. I'm not having to call someone on the phone. It's in my heart. God's word is in my heart. And I can make a decision. I can make a choice. Well, if you're reading through the bookmarks with us, Joshua is preparing the Israelites to finally get into the promised land. See, they've been walking around for 40 years Now, the thing we um, need to know is um, Joshua and Caleb are the only two original adult Israelites that that left Egypt and are entering into the promised land. 
Everybody else died along the way. Because there was a time when they were almost going into the promised land, and Moses sent spies out, and the spies came back with a bad report, and the people rebelled against God. And they grumbled and they complained. And so God says, okay, fine. All of you are going to die along the way, and your children are going to go in. So now we're at that point. Everybody's died along the way. They're going to go in, and Moses, I mean, Joshua and Caleb are the only two left of the original adult Israelites that are going to go into the land. And so God appears to Joshua, and in Joshua 1, 1 to 8, and I'm going to, oh, I typed it in here because so, I can't see my Bible. So um, it says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving them, the children of Israel. Now every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I, with Mo- as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. And then in verse 8, he says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. So when God appeared to Joshua, he gave him some instructions. First, he told him what he needed to do. He said, hey, you need to lead. You're going to go. This is what I want you to do. Then he told him where he was going. Here's the boundaries. Here's the land. These are the people in it. You're going to go destroy them. And then he told them, that he's going to um, parcel out the land as an inheritance to all the Israelites. Well, the interesting thing is, remember when they were walking around for 40 years because they were so rebellious? God spoke to Moses, and he told the people, you're not getting the land because you're good. You're actually getting the land because they're that bad. You can read it in Deuteronomy 9, and we're going to read from 4 to 6. And this is God. He's speaking to Moses. And he says, do not think in your heart after the Lord your God has cast them out before you, saying, because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. It is not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart that you go in to possess their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God drives them out from before you and that he may fulfill the word which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Therefore, understand 
that the Lord your God is not giving you the good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stiff-necked people. The people were being conquered because of their sin. Because the things that they were doing was such an abomination to God that God was going to destroy them. And he was bringing in the Israelites, his people, to possess the land. And the Israelites had to know what to measure to so that when they went into the land and they were destroying the people, they wouldn't conform to the culture or the ways of society. Now, how would they know how to consistently make right choices? They had to know the word of God. They had to know what they were measuring to. And God prepared them. Because remember back in verse 8 when he said, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. The word meditate in Hebrew is the word haga. And it means to murmur, to talk out loud, to speak constantly. And what they were doing was they had to constantly, wherever they went, when they're washing clothes, when they're cooking food, when they're sharpening their weapons, whatever they were doing, they were saying the word over and over. And the thing about the Israelites in the Old Testament is they couldn't go on a phone and download a book from Amazon. They had to speak to each other. The books weren't available. It was an oral tradition. So they passed it down mouth to mouth to mouth to mouth to mouth. And so they had to keep repeating the law so that it would be known. And by doing that, it was in their hearts. So that everywhere they went, they knew the word of God. I kind of think of it this way. Now, I don't know if you've seen me on Sunday morning. Sometimes I have to get from point A to point B. And I've been known to get all the way over here and stop and look around, and whoever is unlucky enough to be in the room gets asked, what am I here for? Because they're supposed to know for some reason. So I decided to solve that. What I would do is, when I start here, if I have to get a book, on the way I'm walking, and I'm probably ignoring you guys. Okay, pick up the book from the desk. Pick up the book from the desk. Pick up the book from the desk. Don't forget the book. You got to get the book. Somebody talks to me. I'm like, hey, yeah, everything's good. Grandkids are good. Husband's good. Everybody's good. Okay, pick up the book. Pick up the book. Pick up the book. Then I get to the room, and I pick up the book. That's what they were doing. Everywhere they went, they were re- re- um, saying the law over and over and over and over. So that no matter where they were, no matter what they were doing, they would know the law. They wouldn't forget it. They would know the word so that they would know how to live. Now, they weren't going to use the word to go in there and say, you know, you guys, you Hittites, you guys are so, you're, you're murdering your children. That's why we're destroying you. It wasn't for them to know and go beat people over the head with it. The word was for them. See, we do that sometimes. I know the word. In fact, I did this, um, I think I did it to my granddaughter. And, and I, we have this relationship, so I play around with her. And um, my youngest granddaughter is five, well, her sister. And I was trying to get her to go to sleep, and she wouldn't go to sleep. So the, her older sister says to her, I prayed to God, and God said to tell you that you need to go to sleep. So I looked at her, at Jewel, and I said, Jewel, you do know that the Bible says that we shouldn't use God's name in vain. Now, she's 13, so she goes, well, what does that mean? And I says, well, generally you shouldn't use God's name for no reason at all. 
So what you did is you told your sister God said when God didn't say, so you used God's name in vain. And she goes, oh. So I said, so you're probably going to go to hell. I told her the truth. I did tell her the truth. But, you know, we do that with the word sometimes. We use it to get people to do what we want. Or we use it so they won't argue with them, with us. That's not what God wants us to know the word for. He wants us to know the word so that it will affect our lives, so that we'll know how to live, so that when we're walking around outside, we know what customs to adopt and what not to adopt, which way we should walk and which way we shouldn't walk. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. See, the value of meditating on God's word is for me. It's for you. We measure ourselves to it. If we measure ourselves to people, that's going to change. It's wavering. Because there's always someone who I'm better than, but there's always someone who's better than me. It's like if I go to the grocery store and you're in a rush and you go into the expressing because you got five items and it's a 10-item lane, and then you see someone in front with 15 items. So you're standing there, you're all impatient, and you're giving them stink eye. Like, oh. But you're not saying anything, you're just giving them stink eye. Because you know what? The person in front of you is putting them on Facebook blast. You saw them take the picture with the sign that says 10 items. The 15 items go, oh, so what? Can I count? 15. You're up there with 15. And you're thinking, hey, I'm better than that person. Except the person behind you has more grace and says, oh, that person must be so embarrassed. They probably didn't see the sign and now they're stuck and everyone's giving them stink eye. So, you know, when we measure to people, we're going to waver which way or not. But when we measure to God's word because it's in our heart, that is unwavering and it's steady and it's true. So you're in that same situation, but instead of thinking, hey, the person in front of me is putting this person on Facebook blast, or this person in the back of me is being so holy that, you know, you're thinking, okay, what does God's word say about this? Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is excellent, anything worthy of praise, let my mind dwell on these things. So if I'm dwelling on how angry at that person, I'm disobeying the word, and I bring myself back into check. So that's the value of meditating on God's word. It helps us to live from day to day, minute to minute, by what God wants us to do. It helps us in our daily life. Because in all honesty, we're called to be very different people from the world. That's why we have to um, learn to memorize and meditate on God's word so that when we encounter difficult times, we're going to find the way. Now, there's lots of benefits of knowing God's word, of memorizing it. But I'm going to give you three. And the first one is that it helps us to resist temptation. You know, the greatest example of using God's word to resist temptation is Jesus Christ. Now, do you remember he was baptized? And as soon as he was baptized, the spirit led him into the wilderness to fast for 40 days. And the devil came and tempted him. And he resisted temptation. And in Luke 4, it's recorded this way. Then Jesus returned from the Jordan, 
full of the Holy Spirit, and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and when they were over, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell the stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone. So he took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you their splendor and all the authority because it has been given over to me. And I can give it to anyone I want. If you will then worship me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So he took him to Jerusalem, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you, and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not test the Lord your God. And after that, devil had finished every temptation, he departed from him for a time. See, every time the devil came at Jesus with a temptation, Jesus responded, not by digging into his robes and pulling out a mini Torah and unwinding it and looking for what to say. From his heart, from what he knew about the word of God, he said, it is written. And that's the power that we have. When we memorize scripture, when things come our way, we're able to say, what does God say? It is written. And then we're able to resist that temptation. I don't have to go this way with this relationship because it is written. That money I found, I can return it because it is written. The anger that I'm feeling, I need to control it because it is written. So when we have the word of God in our hearts, we have a measuring stick with us all the time so that we can make the right decisions and the right choices. The reason Jesus could do that is he made a habit of being alone in a place where he could pray and meditate. Luke recorded it in um, Luke 5.16. And he wrote, As often as possible, Jesus withdrew to out-of-the-way places for prayer. God's word is available whenever we need it. If it's here. It doesn't do us any good if it's in a Bible somewhere on a shelf. You know, for our anniversary, someone gave us um, a gift certificate to a restaurant. And every time my husband and I would go out to eat, I'd go, oh, we've got, oh. I left it at home on the dresser. So I had the, all the power of that certificate not with me. It was on a dresser. I couldn't use it. But when I put the certificate in my purse, the next time we went to the restaurant, I had it with me, and I could use it. It's like when you go to Kona. When do you fill up your car? You fill it up before you go, right? My husband, he always checks the oil, the air pressure, and then he puts gas in the car before we go to Kona. Because between here and wherever you're going in Kona on Saddle Road, you're going to be sitting there if you run out of gas. When I was about, I think I was like nine, I lived in Florida, and I, okay, so I'm going to give my age away. 
When I was a kid, all the cars were like these huge, giant bombers. They were huge. And I remember we had this big blue bomber. And my parents finally could afford to buy a new car. And Toyota was just coming out with the smaller cars, and people my age will remember that. Um, So my parents were excited to buy the smaller car, and um, all I heard them talk about was miles per gallon, miles per gallon, miles. I can remember that to this day. And so one day they decide, you know, let's take a ride with the kids, and let's see how many miles per gallon we can get on this little Toyota. So they'd load us in the car, and we went driving. Now, we're in Florida, and I remember driving, and you're looking at all the scenery, and then all of a sudden, you know, when you hear a mom, and they got that mama bear voice that kind of comes into play, and I hear my mom say something about, you think you need to put gas in? And I heard my dad say something about, nah, 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 miles per gallon. We can, we're going to do this. And I look ahead, and there's this long bridge, long. And on both sides of the bridge is water. Now, the reason I remember this is I can't swim. So every time we crossed anything that was nothing but water, I had this fear that something was going to hit our car, and we go tumbling into the water, and that's it, pile no more Marsha, because I can't swim. So we're heading to the bridge. I hear the, t- the voice. I hear my mom's mama bear, bear voice come in. I hear my dad being calm. Oh, I don't know, you know, we get them. Miles per hour, we can do this. And this long bridge. So we just start driving across the bridge, and about maybe midway, and then he pulls over. And I'm looking at the water, and I'm thinking, the car's going to hit us. We're all going to die. That's it. And I'm mad at my dad because he put us in danger. Well, I'm not the only one mad at my dad. I can hear my mom and dad. That would, the conversation up front wasn't good. And she says, well, what are you going to do now? He goes, well, I, I'm going to go walk and get gas. So I'm looking at the bridge. I'm thinking, he's going to walk across this bridge and get gas? He's going to leave us here to drown? Because remember, I can't swim. That's all I can think about is I'm going to drown. Well, he starts walking, and then you hear, and I look, and there's a police car pulls up behind us. So the policeman comes out, talks to my mom, then he goes over to his car, and he radios. Pretty soon, we see another car, police car come, and up ahead, it picks up my dad, takes him to get the gas, brings him back, puts gas in the car, and then my dad got the whole lecture. You know, don't put your family in danger, put gas in your car, you know, the whole bit. The thing was, we didn't have the fuel to get where we were going. So when it needed to get where it was going, it didn't get where it was going. It stalled out and died right there. Do you know that every day we go to Kona? Every day. Your friends are going to ask you, hey, you know, I'm having problems with my marriage. I don't know what to do. Do we have fuel in our hearts to be able to give them an answer? Hey, my kids are giving me trouble. Like slap them. Do we have something to say to them? See, if we're not memorizing scripture, what do you say in those moments? You're going to be like my dad sitting on the bridge, don't care about miles per hour, you didn't get there. That's why it's important to memorize the word of God. we got to be fueled up and ready to go because every day we're heading to Kona. The second thing the word of God does, it it helps us to make wise decisions like putting enough gas in your car. But um, Rick Warren said, the more you know what God says, the more you're going to know how God thinks because the will of God is found in the word of God. The more you fill your mind with the word of God, 
the more you will know the will of God. David said it this way in the message. He says, by your words, I can see where I am going because they throw a beam of light on my dark path. We don't know what tomorrow has. None of us do. We don't even know what we're going to face. So how do we know where to go? God's word shines a light on the path. And he shows us where to go. He shows us how to get there. We had a um, staycation, my husband and I. We went to the Marriott. And the first night we were there, I said, you know, all I want to do is sleep in. You know, grandkids, they were home. Kids were home. Nobody was there, just my husband and I. I said, I just want to sleep in. I don't want any alarm to wake me up. I don't want nothing to wake me up. I just want to sleep in. So that night, we turned off all the lights, turned off our phones, and then you know how the hotels have those blackout curtains? Close that up. And then, like, you know the hair clips, those cloth thingies? We clawed our curtain closed with my hair clips to make sure no light was getting in because I didn't want to wake up. Well, 8 o'clock in the morning, I wake up. It's dark in the room. It's gorgeous. I loved it. It was dark, dark, dark. And I get up, and I remember, okay, we don't want to wake up until we wake up. So I'm laying there, and then pretty soon I get bored because Tom's still sleeping. And I'm thinking, okay, what do I do? Because I can't wake him up. So I'm thinking, and I go, oh, I know. I'm going to go work out at the gym. So I sneak out of the bed, and I'm kind of feeling my way. It's dark. Feeling my way along the thing, and I feel my way to the bottom drawer, and I pull out my gym clothes, and then I start going. And, you know, you're walking like this because furniture, you don't hit anything. And I, and I can't find the door to the bathroom to go change into my gym clothes. So I go back, feel my way against the dresser, I start feeling to the end of the dresser. Okay, the dresser's right there. Okay, the bathroom's got to be over there, so I'm like... Again. So you know the saying that insanity is doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result each time? I didn't want to be insane, so this time I felt my way along the dresser, and I found my phone, which I turned off the night before, so I had to turn it on. And then once I got the light on, I kind of showed it, and I was like... Oh. Bathroom was over this way. I had gotten all turned around. And I never would have found the restroom to go change my clothes if I didn't have the light. Well, you know, life is like that. Sometimes we think, I got them. I got this all figured out. I know what I'm going to do. I know what I'm going to do about this relationship. I know what I'm going to do about my child. I know what I'm going to do about my job, about my finances. And then we shine the light of the word on it and we figure out, oh, I'm all turned around. I got to measure it back to what the word says. We need to have the word right there so it can be that light. Just like I had to reach for my phone and turn on the light. God's word is that. It turns on the light. The third thing that the word of God is, is it's transforming. It changes us. Now, there is no way that you can have the Word of God in you and not be changed. It's going to change you. In fact, do you remember um, a few sermons ago, messages ago, Pastor Sheldon shared about these buckets? We all read this book. It's called Love Does by Bob Goff. And what he said was he, carry, he carries a bucket around, and he reminds himself that whatever's in the bucket is what he's going to give out. 
Now, we thought that was a great idea, so we bought everybody a bucket so that we could remember that what's in the bucket is what's going to give out. So if I have anger in here, guess what comes out? If I have love in here, what's going to come out? So I have my bucket with me, and I was carrying it everywhere I go. Now, I have a confession. I am by nature an impatient person. If you know me, everything I do is fast. I walk fast. I talk fast. I may be talking fast now, but believe me, this is slower than what I normally talk. I eat, everything I do is fast. I'm impatient. If I'm talking to a person who takes their time talking, I want to reach down and pull the words out of them. <laughs> but when I have this bucket, I look at it, and then it reminds me, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. And I'm like, oh, oh, I can't be this way. And it's not because I'm going to be a better person. It's because God calls me to be different. He calls me to be a better person. He calls me to be patient and kind. And he does it through his word. And he reminds me through his word. He corrects me through his word and sometimes a bucket. See, without God, I can't catch myself before I do something foolish. If I don't have his word, it'll be after. I do the foolish thing and go, oh, I should have done it this way. But when I have God's word in me, then before I say that, it's like, boom, it's right there. See, I have to put it in. It's kind of like... Um, like this bag. See, God's word, it'll help us resist temptation. It'll help us to make wise decisions. It'll transform us when it's available to us, when it's there. Is Travis here? Okay, Travis, come. I have this um, bag, and I put stuff in it before I came. So I'm going to let you choose whatever you want. Anything. And I didn't know if it was going to be a girl or a guy, so there's mixed things in here. So you can grab whatever you want, but I'm going to make it hard because you can't look, so I'm going to hold it up here and you have to reach in. Okay? Okay. I'm not grabbing anything. There's nothing in there. So I called him to come up and get it, but there's nothing. Wait, wait, wait. That was really a mean trick, so um, here. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Thanks, Travis. Can we thank him? See, if we don't put God's word in our heart, then there's nothing in there to give out. Jesus was talking to his disciples once, and he was getting ready. He knew he was going to die. He knew that he was going to be returning to the Father. So he said to them, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So the Holy Spirit comes. What's it, what is he going to find in us? What's he going to be able to use to bring to our remembrance. It's just like this bag. Nothing in, nothing out. Nothing in, 
messing out. Billy Graham said, whatever the need or trouble you are in, there's always something to help you in the Bible. I would add, when you memorize the Bible, it's in us. There's always something I need in me that the Holy Spirit can use when I memorize the Word of God. Now, to help you guys learn how to memorize Scripture, because like I said, when I first came to Christ, I was taught all the things I need to do to memorize Scripture, and I have to do that. I'll confess, I need to do it myself. I rely too heavily on version and Google. But there's these sheets in here, and on Bible Gateway, they have 10 different ways that you can use that'll help you learn to put the Word of God in your heart. So I'm going to ask you guys all, let's do that. Let's be a people who put something in so that something can come out. Would you bow your heads? And let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so very much for the word that you give us, for the tools that you put in our arsenal that we're able to use so that we can resist temptation, so that we can make wise decisions, so that we can be transformed from glory to glory into your image. That's what we want, Lord God. That's what we need. So, Lord God, we open our hearts to you. And we commit, Lord God, to learn your word and to know it so that your Holy Spirit has something to bring to our remembrance. We pray this all in the name of your precious Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.